0: and have a seat. Welcome to Village Church. This is your first time here. My name is Steve. one of the pastors here. And as always, I'm thankful and grateful to see each and every one of you. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open it to Hebrews chapter 5. We're going to be starting in verse 11 this morning. Uh, But of course, Happy New Year. The building is packed for our service today. And what the New Year gives for so many people is an opportunity kind of to forget. Uh, I was perusing social media yesterday and so many people were writing about how 2022 did not go the way that they thought it would go and they're thankful for the opportunity to start a new year hoping that things would be better this year. And of course, many people have many different reasons for saying things like that. Many uh, things have happened in the past year that you uh, had nothing to do with you. It had to do with something that was happening to you, but for so many, uh, 2022 happened the way that it did because of the life that you are living, the choices that you have made, the reactions to choices that other people have made. And because of that, I like to start the new year spending a few weeks talking about how you can change your life, how you can ensure that the coming year is better than the previous year, even if the circumstances surrounding the new year. Do not go the way that you envision that they will go. Here's the deal. Most of you are not going to have as good of a year in 2023 as you think you will. I know that's not the news that you came in church hoping to hear. That's not the inspiration that you were hoping was going to happen this morning, but that's a fact of life. It's a vital part of my discipleship of my children as I'm trying to teach them. Life is going to be disappointing, Things are going to happen often that are outside of your control and even inside of your control and you're hoping things will go to the right, they go to the left. You're hoping it's going to go straight down the road and there's a curve somewhere that you didn't see happening. There's something around the corner that you weren't expecting. That's one constant because of the curse of sin in this world is that life can be unbelievably disappointing. But even in the face of all of that disappointment, this morning what I want to Talk to you about is really something that one of my mentors taught me about. He said that a man's greatness is not determined by his successes or his failures. Rather, a man's greatness is determined by what it takes to discourage him. And that even in the face of very disappointing circumstances, you can walk through this world encouraged constantly. In fact, the matter is, is that one of the greatest sins that he identified in culture. He called it the sin of discouragement. He taught me that D.L. Moody once said that God cannot use a man or a woman who's determined to be discouraged about life. That's regardless of the circumstances. Your coming year is going to be the same as it always has been unless you make different choices than you used to make. You have a choice each and every day to wake up encouraged or discouraged. And my prayer is that you will make the choice to wake up encouraged, even if things aren't going the way that you hoped they would. I mean, really, what were you expecting anyway? I mean, look at the choices you've made. I mean, let's get real. All right. You're just paying the piper for a lot of those choices you made 20 years ago. I mean, it's kind of like, look at me. It's like, I, you know, if, if I was really discouraged because I'm not the thinnest guy in the world, let's go back 20 years and count the Pop-Tarts, all right? There's a reason I'm in the shape that I'm in, and only some of it is genetics. I'd like to say, well, I'm just big boned. That might be true, but there's a lot going on outside of the bones, all right? And I made choices to get me where I am right now, all right? I mean, I need to make some different choices, You're going to have the same you in the new year unless you make the choice by the power of God, even in spiritual matters, to change. The only person, and I mean this at a practical level, the only person that can change your life is you. You need the power of the Holy Spirit to make those changes. You need the transformational vision of God in your life through the gospel to really change anything in your life but you are the one that has to make the choices to change. And if you want to live a life of encouragement from God, then one thing I can tell you this morning that's got to change in your life is you've got to change your faith. You've got to grow in 2023. If you are not growing in your faith, you cannot expect to be encouraged by the power of the Holy Spirit Because the power of the Holy Spirit brings change. The power of the Holy Spirit necessitates that you change the patterns of your life. If you are growing in your faith, you can expect to live the encouraged life. You can expect to have joy in your life. But friends, if your faith is not growing, I will give you a warning. You can expect your life to be falling apart every single day. I know many of you, you struggle. You feel like you're barely holding on. Panic is an almost constant reality. Despair is something that you feel a lot. Anxiety attacks come on over and over and over. And I will tell you that one of the solutions to the discouragement that you are facing, yes, even the depression that you may be facing, is you've got to have a growing faith Every single day of your life, and God promises us in His work, He says, when your faith is growing, you will have unshakable joy. If you want real change in your life, you have to change yourself. You have to start within you. You have to rethink, why do I do the things that I do? You have to think about your identity. You have to think about your motivations, values, fears, commitments. But I will tell you, you are naturally default mode because of your sin and your selfishness. The first thing you're going to do is the wrong thing. The first thing you're going to do is look for somebody to blame. So many of you, you are not living the life that God has designed you to live because it's somebody else's fault. Stop doing that. It might make you irritated this morning to hear, but it is not someone else's fault. It's your fault. It's your choices. Even if terrible things have happened to you in your life, your reactions to those things are what's causing you to be in the ruts that you are in. You have to make a choice to follow Jesus into the life that He's always designed for you to live in. You know, God wants to change our lives. You can't walk away from Scripture with any other thought. Scripture constantly gives me the reality that God wants to change me. That's the difference between a life of faith and a life of stagnancy. Faith demands growth. Faith begets change. That change doesn't stop ever in your life. If you're going to follow Jesus Christ, you can expect an ever-increasing amount of change every single day in your life because that's what growth looks like. Every moment of faith in your life is preparing you for the next moment of faith in your life. God wants you to have that. I want to look at Hebrews chapter 5 this morning. I want to start reading in verse 11 a hard reality that the author of Hebrews, I think it was Paul, Paul, other people think I'm wrong, but they are <laughs> wrong. I we'll want start reading in Hebrews 5, starting in verse 11. The author says, About this, speaking of the gospel, speaking of the origins of Jesus Christ, about this we have much to say, and it's hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. Now, one thing you don't want an apostle to tell you is that you are dull of hearing because he's not talking about physical hearing. He's not saying you need a hearing aid. He's saying that you are not growing into the life that God wants you to grow, and so you're not listening. You're not changing. You're not developing. He says, you've become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers... You need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary princi- Excuse me, doctrine of Christ... And go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. I want to stop there. It's a hard word. The apostle is looking at the dispersed church. That's who he's writing to. People whose lives, let me tell you something, their lives were disappointing, they'd been driven out of their homes. They'd been driven to modern day Turkey out of Jerusalem because of their faith in Jesus Christ, living amongst the people who didn't like them, living amongst the people who didn't want them. there, living amongst the people who were threatening them, persecuting them. Many of them were unemployed. Many of them couldn't find work because they were outsiders. And all of it was because of the gospel. And what does the author of Hebrews tell the dispersed church? Grow up. Well, thank you for the encouragement. I, I appreciate that. That really isn't what I was looking for. But in this section of the book of Hebrews, that's what the author gives them. He says, grow up. He says, you're dull of hearing, so I can't teach you anything. He says, I can't move on to the second lesson because you don't listen to the first lesson. He says, I can't give you solid food. I can't talk about the deep things of Christ. I've got to give you milk like a baby. He says, you should be teaching somebody else, but I've got to have a review session for you because you refuse to multiply your faith in other people. And he says, you should have moved on, but you haven't. I have to continue these. He calls them elementary principles. But he says, no, what his attitude is? He says, that shouldn't be the case. He says, shouldn't have to do it. He said, let's not continue to teach the same lessons over and over. He says, I don't want to lay a foundation again. It's time to build some walls. But he said, the only way I'm going to do that is if you make different choices. He says, the only way I can do that is if you... Grow up. Number one this morning, you are meant to grow in faith. You're meant to grow in faith. That's how God designed the gospel. That's how God designed faith. He designs you to start at point A and he wants you to get towards point B, but it's going to take some effort to get there. It's going to take some growth. It's going to take some mile markers Parents out there, the doctor will tell you what percentile your child is in, what markers you need to look at, what development needs to be happening. And man, the mothers in the room, they have a keen eye. Fathers, not always. All right. We just want them to just start eating and stop crying. All right. That's that's pretty much our vision. It's like development's going great. They cry less. All right. But the doctor gives all these markers. How how high, you know, how tall, how big should the skull be? And there's all these measurements that they have, but here's a question I have for you. Do you expect the Christian life to be that much different? What markers have you set out to track your development in the faith? What markers have you set out to say, I've gone from the milk to solid food. There are ways that I can look at my life to where I can note I have grown in the past year. Here's the deal. Without markers, you will not be able to mark your growth in faith from 2022 to 2023 won't be any different. You're going to be struggling with the same things. You're going to be doing the same things. Your Bible reading plan is only going to make it to 1 Chronicles if you make it out of Genesis. All right? Your prayers are going to be the same as they always were. You're going to start repenting of sin. Then you're going to start thinking about lunch because you don't have any markers. You don't have any ways to say, all right, here's how I've grown. I've read this much of the scripture. I've spent this much time in prayer. I've had these conversations with coworkers about the gospel. I've spent this much time in community group. All right, I have ingested so much of the word. I noticed that there's sin of selfishness or some sin of immorality or some sin that I should have done something and I didn't do something. And I've repented of that. There are markers along the way of Christian growth, but are you tracking it more than you're tracking your bank account, more than you're tracking your waistline. For many of us, our New Year's resolutions go no deeper than our skin, no deeper than how much money we have, how much debt we have, I'm not saying those behaviors don't need to be modified, but I am telling you that God is more interested with what is going on inside of you that is producing those bad behaviors than he is just stopping those bad behaviors because there's always something going on in your life that causes those behaviors. No behavior just happens because it's what it is. Nobody that has a complete outbreak of fury and anger has that because, well, it just happened. No, there's a fire burning inside of you that needs to be extinguished. That's what God wants to track. Hebrews 11, excuse me, 511, where we started, points backwards. What does he have much to say about? He says, about this we have much to say. He's talking about the previous 10 verses, and what are those 10 verses pointed out? They pointed out that Jesus Christ is the high priest of our lives. He's restored us to the life with God through faith in Jesus. Jesus lived a perfect life for our sake. Jesus suffered on the cross for our sake. Jesus died on the cross as a sacrifice for our sin. Everything that is wrong in our lives, the point A of Christianity... Everything that is wrong with our lives can only be made right through choice number one. And choice number one is trusting in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You might modify some behaviors without Jesus. You might clean up the exterior a little bit without faith in Jesus. But you will never make real change from the inside out without faith in Jesus Christ. That's why he starts right there. But Jesus has done something that can change your present. Often we think, good, Jesus has secured my future. No hell when I die. I'm going to go to heaven in the future. And you are satisfied with that level of gospel work in your life. That's not the work that God is only interested in. And if you think that, you don't understand the gospel. You might not have faith at all. Yes, Jesus does change my future destination, but Jesus is worried about changing my present just as much. He lived, died, and rose to change my life right now. You will not be able to see that future that you want without changing your vision for the present in your life as well. Some of you are trying to plot out changes in the future, and you're like, well. It's like a New Year's resolution, but it's a New Year's resolution for 2026. That's when I think I'll have time to change what God wants to change inside of me. That's not how the Christian life works at all. You will not change in the future if you don't make a plan to change right here and right now. You have got to get serious about growing your faith in the present if you want the future to be different at all. Are you angry? ONLY FAITH IN JESUS IS REALLY GOING TO to MAKE ANY CHANGES. ARE YOU ANXIOUS? ONLY FAITH IN JESUS IS REALLY GOING TO MAKE ANY CHANGES. ARE YOU LONELY? ONLY FAITH IN JESUS IS GOING TO MAKE ANY REAL CHANGES IN YOUR LIFE. REGARDLESS OF WHAT THE ISSUE THAT YOU ARE DEALING WITH, IT IS GOING ON INSIDE OF YOU, AND IT MUST BEGIN WITH FAITH IN JESUS. BUT THAT FAITH IN JESUS IS MEANT TO GROW AND DEAL WITH REAL LIFE ISSUES. For so many Christians, you have become a practical atheist. You might be the greatest theist in the world where heaven and hell are concerned, but right here and right now, practically, you don't think God has much to do in your life. So you're depending on total worldly wisdom that has nothing to do with what God addresses in Scripture to make the changes in your life. How do I get rid of my anxiety? Well, I guess I have to ask a doctor. How do I get out of debt? Well, let me get a book about getting out of debt. You want to deal with behaviors. You want to deal with externals. You want to deal with worldly wisdom, not realizing that the only way those changes are ever going to stick is if you fix the holes that are going on in the soul of who you really are. you fix the motivations for why you make the decisions that you make. Faith changes you. And that is the point that the apostle is making in this passage. The author points out the necessity of believing the gospel. But there is an objective, factual nature to the gospel. It really happened. These events are real in history that become transformational in everyday life. And that is why unbelievers simply don't understand the Christian life. It's because they can't. If you don't have the power of the Holy Spirit, you're not going to understand the power of the Holy Spirit. Faith is a dynamic force that is meant to change the way you live. Note that the rest of the passage is Paul pushing. He pushes, he pushes. He says, change, change, grow. You need to grow. And he's noting that your refusal to grow is rooted in, in disbelief of the gospel. Some of you are not believing the gospel for your everyday. You're believing some other word that has come into your life. Hebrews 11, 1 through 3 furthers this. this. The author writes, he says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation, By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen is, excuse me, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Some of you are afraid to move forward on the changes that you know God wants to make in your life because you think it might risk what you already have. Got news for you. Yeah, that's the way faith works. You're not going to risk anything, you're going to sacrifice a lot. It's not just a risk, it is a willful decision to leave some things behind so that you can pursue what God has designed you to actually live for. The text is telling us, trust in Christ more than you trust what is right in front of your face. Trust in what you haven't seen, but God wants to bring into your life more than you trust what you have already built in your life. But some of us, that's a bridge too far because you think you've built a pretty good life. I'll tell you, without the hand of God, it's all worthless. It's all meaningless. God's power for the future must be built and leveraged in the present. If it isn't, do you really have faith in God? Or are you just looking at yourself standing still while claiming faith that isn't really accomplishing anything? So many of you have faith that you don't think is accomplishing anything. And I'll tell you, you're probably right. Because it's not a faith that's doing anything. Faith is not static. Faith is dynamic. Faith must move. Faith must go somewhere. God is moving in the world. So if you're not moving with God then your faith is dead. Your faith isn't accomplishing anything. It is worthless. So what do you do? What do you do? It's simpler than you think, but more difficult than you ever imagined. Number two this morning, faith is built by receiving and reacting to God's Word. Note, I said it's all about choices. And the only way your faith is ever going to grow is a step one, you receive the Word of God. But here's the issue. It doesn't stop there. You are not just some piggy bank that God is going to break open when you die. And say, oh, there's so much word in there. No, you receive the word so that you can react to the word. You have to make choices about the word that you receive. That's what he's talking about when he says milk and meat is that couldn't give you solid food because you weren't ready. You know why you continue to need milk? It's because you're not ready to process anything else. You're not doing anything with it. The author says, you've got to grow up. You've got to move. You've got to start reacting because if you don't react, you'll still just need the same milk over and over. Faith moves you in response to something. It moves you in response to God's revelation. What am I talking about when I talk about the Word? I'm talking about the Scriptures. I'm talking about the letter that God has written to us, 66 books of Scripture for us to respond to. No, in John chapter 1, he describes Jesus as the ultimate revelation of God, the Word of God. And the work that God wants to draw every one of us into is the gospel that he accomplished. It is objective reality to believe in. And where do you learn all about that? In the Scriptures. God has not left us without objective statements about who He is, what He has done, and what He wants us to do about it. It's all in the Scriptures, given to us by the prophets, given to us by the priests, the kings, the apostles, and on and on, Jesus Christ Himself. It is concrete truth to revolutionize your worldview and your self-view. But it is not dead academics to simply memorize and restate like a math equation that doesn't awaken affection that changes how you live. Do you know why 2 plus 2 equals 4? Because God designed it that way. It's the Christian worldview. It's the foundation of reality itself. But 2 plus 2 equals 4 can be such a dead reality to you. It can be no, no more than, okay, I have 2 here, I have 2 here, I have 4, big deal. It only becomes... And something that stokes my affections when I begin to consider the God who spoke the world into existence is the God who designed reality itself to make two here and two there come together and equal four. It is only when the transcendency of God becomes imminent in my life that I begin to consider the design and function of God in all things to be rooted on a foundation of reality building creation where God has made the world to be the way that it is, knowing stuff and being smart doesn't mean you are mature and neither does growing old. The only thing that means you are mature where the word is concerned is have you received that incredible revelation that there is a God. He is there. He has not been silent. He has been involved. He sent his only son on a rescue mission because of my sin. He lived the life I can't live. He died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin. He rose from the dead to awaken my affection to a relationship with the creator God that I was designed to live for but I'm incapable of living up to. But the spirit of God has rushed upon me and has given me the affection so that I can know him, so I can move with him, so that I can live for him, so I can receive his word, understand his word, and walk in reaction to the life that he has said, Steve, live for this. It is then that the world becomes a place of worship for you. But so long as all you're doing is receiving without reacting, these will just be dead facts. There won't be life-altering realities. Maturity is measured by your affections and lifestyle being changed by the gospel of God. Your feelings change, you know, by the values and commitments displayed by your life. Ask yourself a question. How? How? Is the Word of God changing you when you rarely saturate yourself in it? If you're not going to the Word, how can it change you? How can you react to revelation you don't receive? If God is not moving in your life and you can just sit there and be honest enough with yourself to confront yourself with the reality, well, I'm also not receiving His Word. Well, step one... Receive it. Live in it. Let it cover your life. Step two, react to it. Note one chapter previous to Hebrews 5. The author writes this. He says, let us strive to enter that rest. What rest? The rest that the gospel of Jesus Christ gives you. He says, let us strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience... For the word of God is living and active sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It pierces the soul. What other book does that? I love to read. I read a lot. I don't know how many books I read last year. There's a lot of them. I don't even remember half of them. But there's only one of those books that I read last year that can pierce my soul. That's this one. That's this one. The Bible reads you, it's active, it knows you, it is living. Verse 11 there warns you you want satisfaction, you want peace, you want rest. You want respite from anxiety? You want change that won't drive you to despair? Be careful, he warns you. In seeking that rest, you can fall into disobedience and shipwreck your life. How do you avoid entering the wrong type of rest? Very simple, the Word of God. That's what he says. The author of Hebrews, he makes it so much more simple than I make it. How can I have rest and peace in my life? Well, I've got this technique and that technique and I've read this book and I've read that book, but have you read the book? Have you read the book? The apostle says, the other ones will lead you astray. This one has an amazing ability that while you read it, it reads you. It changes you. It works in you. This is the most supernatural book of all time. Friend, I'm not being braggadocious, but since the age of 12 years old, I have read this book at least 50 times. How is it possible that at 42 years old, I still will read it this afternoon and I will realize something that I've never realized before about it? It will tell me something about my life that I didn't know before. It will provoke a change in me that I didn't know I had a problem with. It's the funny thing about the Word of God. You go to it, you find out you have more problems than when you got into it. But the good news about the Scriptures is is that it also gives you everything you need to address every one of those issues. And it says, be changed, child of God. And if you will listen to the voice of God that's only available in Scripture... John Piper's always said, if you want to hear the voice of God, read the Bible out loud. It's the only book in existence that when I go to it, God literally speaks into the life of Steve Gentry. Supernatural. It's amazing the way that the scripture works. You know, babies are selfish. Bunch of jerks. Every one of them, moms are so mad. Give me a minute not my baby yeah your baby's probably the worst i mean think about it there's there's a lot of new babies in here i'm always so thankful for that it's how we grow this church but all babies do i noticed this i got three all right all any of them ever did when they were babies was eat and create waste that's it and cost me money that was the third thing eat create waste eat create waste That's why the apostle calls you a baby in this passage if you're not growing in your faith. The loudest voice you hear of criticism in the church is the voice of immature Christians. They eat and create waste, eat and create waste. And if you didn't get it on their schedule, that's an immature Christian. There's a reason where consuming is by design. It's all you know how to do. When you're at point A, it's it. It's all that you can do. But if that's all you ever become by faith, it's like that 40-year-old living in his mom's basement, watching Netflix all day and asking why she didn't get more cheesy poofs. You start to ask yourself, something's wrong here. We may have gone a different, we may have gone a wrong direction with our son, all right? You know why people look at that and why that's just a natural joke of all cultures is because you know that you're designed to grow up. You're designed to become self supporting. You are designed in a physical way to grow up and become self sufficient. Well, Christian who are you still blaming for your immaturity? He says, you should have been a teacher by now. There comes a point where only receiving discipleship becomes a selfish idolatry. And you can bathe it in whatever spiritual lingo you want to. I've heard it all. It's usually, well, I had to leave that church because they just weren't going deep enough for me, deep Whenever somebody says that, they're about as deep as a septic tank, (laughs) all right? And they smell about like that too where God is concerned. Question isn't how deep have you gotten? Yes, you do need to get to the deeper things of God. But the reality is, if you're getting to the deeper things of God, it will be seen in your life and manifest in reaction to the Word of God. Where you're not just complaining that nobody's giving, 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 because you will be so focused on on giving away, giving away, giving away. I have personally received more discipleship. I'm almost willing to say, I'm sure I'm wrong somewhere on this, but I'm willing to make a bet that I've received more discipleship than anyone in this room. God has put me in rooms I did not deserve to be in with giants of the faith. And there came a point very quickly where in each and every one of those rooms the conversation turned from what they had to offer me to what I had to offer someone else. Because every spiritual giant in my life knew the reality that if Steve Gentry doesn't grow past consuming to giving life into the lives of other people, then I'm handicapped where my faith in Jesus Christ is concerned. Friends, you must grow past receiving to where you are giving. That's why he says, by this time you ought to be teachers. Friend, follower of Christ, by this time, what ought you to be? Some of you have been Christian for five years, 10 years, 20 years. How are you multiplying your faith in someone else? Are you still playing that tired line of, well, I still need to, Just get a little bit more discipleship. Just a little bit more. Milk. That's what milk is. You need to grow to where you can get solid food. So many of you, follower of Jesus, you are so concerned about your physical obesity on January 1st when you are basically living that 600-pound Christian life. You need to exercise your faith. You have consumed and consumed and consumed and never reacted to anything that you've consumed through seeking to walk in faith. Is faith changing your commitments? Is faith changing you to where you are teaching someone else how to follow Jesus? I will tell you, never stop receiving a glorious grace that God has given into my life. There's so much more that I have to receive in the Christian life, but you receive in order to react, and it's in the reaction where you will grow up. That's the secret to the Christian life. Number three this morning, a faith that grows is a faith that lasts. A faith that grows is a faith that lasts. lasts. You need to build a life that lasts. You need to build a life that lasts. I've been following Jesus for a very long time. Like I said, I've been in rooms I don't feel like I ever deserved to be in. I've been mentored by men who I don't ever, I've never done anything to deserve the mentorship that I've received in my life. But I've also been doing this long enough to see a lot of guys that used to stand by my side aren't even following Jesus anymore. I have one or two examples of people that were my mentors that have left the faith. So the reality is is that the fourth quarter of your life is more important than the first three. Reality is, is, you can get 10 feet from the finish line and fall. I've seen it. How do you prevent that from happening? You build a life that stands. In Matthew 7, Jesus gives a great metaphor for the Christian life. He doesn't tell us things so that we can sit. He doesn't tell us things so that we can keep going on the same path that we were already on. Jesus speaks his truth into our lives so that we can grow. He wants us to change, and he gives this analogy. He said, everyone then who hears these words, Matthew 7, starting in verse 24, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it was founded on the rock. Not that rock, the rock, Jesus Christ. So many people come into the Christian life and they think, leisure from here on out. Nothing bad's ever going to happen to me. Holy Spirit's going to put a force field around me and everything's going to bounce off me and I'm, I'm going to have bright sunny days every day of my life. If that's your understanding of the gospel because there's a lot of heresies out there that will teach you that, friend, when that first tragedy strikes, you're not prepared. When that first suffering comes, when that first disappointment happens, you're not ready. That's why Jesus was always so honest about following. He said, oh, you think think they persecute me and they're not going to persecute you? You think I'm going to suffer and you're not going to suffer? So Jesus is honest here. He says, the rain's going to fall. The flood is still going to come. The winds are going to blow. Your house is going to get beaten. Hard times are coming. He said, you need to build on the rock. The foundation matters, verse 26. He says, and everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. One thing I love about this analogy Jesus gives is as the rains coming no matter where you build your house. The floods are coming regardless of where you build it. The wind's going to come. House is going to get beaten. He says, the one difference is the foundation. He says, if you want to be on the rock of Jesus Christ, listen to my words and order your days around them. Obey his instruction. Build your life on the revelation of Jesus Christ. Receive it and react to it. But there are those who receive it, have no reaction and think that they're going to get by building their house on top of sand. It's not going to work. You're never going to make it. The gospel of Jesus Christ changes our lives. I mean, it's so severe that it takes us from seeking hope in the wrong places and shows us the light of God's life. To put your faith in Jesus means to believe all of it is true and to rebuild your life around that very truth. You have to rebuild the house on a brand new foundation. God has designed a life for you to build through what you believe about him. In Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1, that final verse, we're instructed to leave elementary doctrines and grow into maturity. That doesn't mean you grow past the gospel, friends. What it means is that the gospel is complete. The foundation has been finished. You can trust it. It is solid enough to build your life upon. So, if all we do all day is what he says. Let's move past these elementary principles. He says, don't continue with this first initial repentance. He says, don't stare at the foundation. Grab a hammer. Grab some nails. Grab some wood. And start building some walls. And when you're done with those walls... Put an A-frame on that roof. Is so it when you're done with that roof, go get some insulation. Go get some drywall. Go buy a door. Go buy a back door. Get some windows. Get some shingles. Get some HVAC. There's a lot of stuff that goes into building houses. Jesus has secured the foundation, and then told you, child of God, go. Live the life. Build some walls. Friends, I will tell you, if you trust Jesus, you'll start to build. The question that you need to ask sooner in your Christian life than you think is, why am I not building? I mean, how many of you are so impressed as you watch other people build their houses while you just sit on a lawn chair on your foundation doing nothing? That's not the life God's designed you to live. Why aren't you multiplying your faith into someone else? Why aren't you identifying sin in your life and continually repenting? Why aren't you making disciples? Why aren't you investing your faith? Why aren't you serving somewhere? Why isn't your knowledge growing? Why aren't you more passionate about Jesus today than you were a year ago? And I think that is the question today that you need to deal with. Why isn't your passion for Christ growing? Those questions, though, are never going to be answered by pointing the finger at someone else. Friend, I fully accept that for many, many people, the finger will get pointed at me. You'll say, he's not preaching deeply enough. He's not preaching the right way. He's not expositing properly. He didn't start this ministry. He's not doing that ministry. He's not doing this other thing. And I will tell you, friend, I am about as imperfect as a pastor as you will ever meet. But I also need you to understand that so long as you're pointing the finger at someone else, you will never grow. Ever. I'm built to take hits. I've got thick skin. You can see it. (laughs) But friend, while I'll take any hit you'll throw at me, I will just pity you. Because until you look at the person staring at you in the mirror and say, grow, grow, change, You're never going to have the life that God has designed for you to have. You need to live a life that grows. Friend, I finished to tell you this. God has built a future for you. For you. I know he has a future for me, and I'm trying to walk into it every day. But what I need you to do is I need you to get real and realize he has a future for you. Personally, you, personally. And he says, have the faith to step into the future that he has built for you. It's time to grow your faith. Get moving. A few application points this morning. First, build your life around your faith rather than your faith Around your life. It is only when you realize that you need to change some things about your life that you're really getting serious about your faith. But some of you are trying to customize faith so that it adjusts itself to whatever you just want to do. That's not how following Jesus works, friend. Secondly, change one thing in your life because of the gospel this week one thing. And don't dream big. This is one of those situations where I'm going to tell you, don't dream too big. All right? Because some of you are like, well, I'm going to, you know, do something crazy for the faith. I'm going to quit my job. I'm going to go to Africa tomorrow. If you've never read the whole Bible, there's a great chance God hasn't called you into missions yet. All right? <laughs> so let's, let's just be real. What's one thing you can change this week? And I will tell you, I do think January 1st presents a wonderful opportunity where it needs to be because of the gospel. But maybe that one thing is is you just start reading the Bible every day. That's That's repentance for so many of you. Maybe you just need to spend five, ten minutes in prayer every day. Maybe you need to set a goal that one person that God has been putting on your heart, say, they're not a believer. I know they're not a believer, but maybe they will be if I'll share the gospel with them. So I'll just tell them how Jesus has changed my life because some of you, you cop out and you say, I don't know enough about the Bible. Friends, there's so many examples in the scripture of people that didn't know anything about the Bible, especially the woman at the well. She said, come meet the man. And all she knew about him was, is he, he told me everything about me. <laughs> one person. Friend, change one thing about your life because of the gospel this week. Thirdly, Read the Bible to receive instructions for change. It is an academic book. I've treated it that way so much in my life because of my education.